Hey everybody, it's Hit Rewind Podcast. This year we're devoted to 1987 and we're going to be discussing the video games of 1987. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, John, is on the other side. I'm here! And he's there! Uh, he's everywhere! He's like the lawnmower man. He's in every computer. He's going to take over. <laughs> Access denied. Access denied. Um, what are we discussing in 1987? Oh, there's all kinds of stuff that happened. Uh, for starters, there were a few new companies that formed. Like you had Maxis, which uh, founded by Will Wright, who were responsible for Sim City, The Sims, and sadly, Spore. <laughs> Is that but, not a hit? I, I remember everybody talking about it, but uh, afterwards. No, not, not as much of a hit as they would probably have liked. Uh, Apogee, aka 3D Realms, which was 3D Realms basically was what they named themselves when they started making 3D games, and then they kind of dropped the Apogee name. But these are the people responsible for Commander Keen, Terminal Velocity, which is awesome. Oh, I love that Charlie Sheen uh, movie. Uh, <laughs> Wolfenstein 3D, the Duke Nukem franchise, and the first two Max Paynes, as well as the original Prey. So a lot of bad movies adapted from these games. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Well, even then, like the original Duke Nukem's were fun, but uh, yeah, those that last one, not not nope, good. Not even close. <laughs> then also uh, Tengen, which Atari was uh, created this little branch of their their thing, uh, specifically for NES ports, and I. I had always, I thought it was a separate company for the longest time, because I remember those gold cartridges, kind of like the, uh, the Nintendo, like the uh, Nintendo specific ones as well. Yeah, well, and the Zelda big, big was gold. Yeah, yeah. Was well, like on on things like Gauntlet and stuff like that. It's like big block letters, Tengen. You know, it's the name that I was very familiar with, seeing ads and playing some of those uh, ports. Involved now, in that whole Tetris also, fiasco, I remember that, and the whole Nintendo suing them. Yeah. Now there are also a couple others that came that that were uh, formed to the side, but unless you're a huge fan of speedball, the Ford Racing series, or you're really super hardcore into PC ports of games, it's not going to matter. So, if those are some of your favorite stuff and you love these companies, sorry, that's the best you're going to get from me. Uh, this year, did have uh, the the uh, Nintendo versus Blockbuster case, where Nintendo successfully sued Blockbuster because for their rentals they would photocopy the game manuals and put them in there instead of actually putting in the actual manuals. And Nintendo was pissed off about that, so decide in this case ultimately forced them to. Include the actual manuals. That's so stupid. They get lost and stolen and ruined. I what kind of dumb fuckery is that? Nintendo was very, was very particular about copyright law. Nintendo is such and they were gonna... Yeah, they they are and were, <laughs> especially in this time and Super Nintendo era. But they also put out some of our favorite games. So... Yeah, I know. Blech. You know. <clears throat> but okay. In the arcade, Afterburner was released. The game that makes you want to puke every time I play it. In fact, I just played it two nights ago. Yes, when it's saying his biggest hits, it's a fast-paced 
even by today's standards, I know this I know. game is fast-paced. It's a fl- flying sim where you're flying a third-person F-14 Tomcat. It's aesthetically based off of Top Gun. I just can't and, play games that are this view. It makes me so nauseous. It's got to be top view or side view. Like this game, this game eight quarters like you wouldn't believe. Like I, I know this firsthand because damn, this game was fun to play, but it's so fast that you basically just get shot down so damn fast. Mm-hmm. And like, what's kind of cool about this was it had the cabinet came in two different forms. You had your regular stand up with a little flight stick and stuff. But there was a sit-down that actually rotated up and down based on your movements. It was badass because you would, you know, pull a stick back, you know, lean, you know, you'd go up a little bit, go down. You didn't go side to side, which was a little bit of shame, but, you know, you get what you could get. But <clears throat> you're now, we're now actually starting to enter the era of all the best gimmick cabinets. Yes. Like oh my god, there's so many so many great ones, and Sega, Sega was kind of like the king of doing this. So there'll definitely be a lot of a uh, lot of Sega games we'll be talking about for this <clears throat> in relation to gimmicky shit that they that they loved to to suck your quarters away with. But Double Dragon came out in arcades. Impossible to play at home. Oh my god, it's so much better the arcade version. I have a Raspberry Pi, so I played the two, and they look so different. They play so much better uh, in arcade style. It's just it sucks in Nintendo. It sucks even worse than those little fucking shitty. Do you remember? I don't know what they're called. They're little handheld ones. Do you remember the little white with a little art and it had oh, just like, like little, little tiger? Yes. Little tiger yes. I traded some baseball cards for one of those, and I thought it was the greatest thing for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is. I had this on the PC, of all things, like a little PC port of it that was very difficult to play. <clears throat> but this is one of the best and most influential side-scrolling beat-em-up games ever. You, and if you had a friend, uh, could play as Billy and Jimmy Lee, or, depending on the transition, Bimmy and Jimmy. Uh, and you have to rescue Billy's girlfriend from the evil Black Warrior gang. And you punch, kick, and beat the living crap out of uh, all these guys. Yeah, is this the beginning and, of the yeah, whole, had... uh, what do you call them, smush, smash them up? What, what? Shmups? Well, Shmups. It's, uh, not, 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 it's not a smash up, because it's a, uh, a beat up the well-known genre. Because yeah, Final Fight, Streets of Rage, all kinds of stuff uh, came from this came from these humble origins so some were so tired because they keep stealing the same I, I have a capcom thing in my little raspberry pi and all the fighting games are the same they're just different skins i can't believe how many times they just use the double dragon layout over and over and over and over the final fight one Oof. oh yeah uh, but this is also when you get to the end of the game you could actually you if you and your friend are uh, playing together you could actually fight over who gets the girl nice isn't that uh, isn't that uh, wonderful? Friends yeah, your tro- the literally, your uh, trophy, yeah, your trophy is a prize to be won <laughs> from your friend. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, it does doesn't hold up well in the uh, social aspects of it, but still such a great game. Now there's R Type. Oh which was God! A, so uh, beautiful, but so fucking yeah. hard. Yeah, that's the horizontal side-scrolling shooter developed by Irem and distributed by Nintendo, which which is funny because 
I had actually always associated it with Sega. I thought it was a Sega game. But because that's the only way I've ever seen it was released on Sega and then later on PlayStation. But this was actually Nintendo's last actual arcade title. And, you know, we, we talked about, like, the uh, little Nintendo stand-ups that were basically uh, arcade versions of... Right, what, Play of Choice, NES's. I think it was called, or Choice 10 or something like that. Yeah, it's... Those are considered different than their standard arcade thing. So, yeah, this was, like, the last Nintendo arcade game, technically. Even though they released those things well into the early 90s. But, you know, you're fighting aliens that are so totally not the xenomorphs. Uh, you got, you know, these several stages uh, with bosses at the end, and it's great. It's also really hard. Yes, God you know, damn it. It's, I want to play it, and it just makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing is, it's, it's a beautiful game. It's a fun game. I hate this game only because I can't beat it. Now, did you know Contra was an arcade game? Not first. I didn't. I always thought it was a home game yeah. first. Yeah, I, I was just—I was always familiar with it with the NES port. But uh, let, let's be honest; it's probably just as difficult and maddening as the port was that this arcade game was. Because Jesus Christ, this is the reason why the why the Konami code exists. Well, that and Gradius, yeah. but. Uh, you can't beat Contra without the 30 lives. You need the Konami code. Because, you know, this is the ultimate run-and-gun shooter where you and, you and your friend go and fight your way through seven stages of awesome carnage that actually shift kind of from, like, the 2D plane to a, a uh, kind of sort of 3D version to, like, even, like, vertical scrolling. And it's... You know, if you've never played this game before, especially I can imagine as an arcade game, it's your first time doing it, <laughs> you wouldn't know what the hell's happening. Oh my god, sudden, so yeah, many like, games like that. My know, god. But I would be so well, angry, I'd be like, fuck this game, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm never playing this again. Yeah. Left and right horizontal plane as you start off the game, then all of a sudden there's this kind of like top down three, you know, sort of 3D mode. And then all of a sudden, your next stage, you're now vertical scrolling. It's. You know, what's happening? But, yeah, it's... You know, the, the story has something to do with you fighting aliens in the future, but uh, who the hell knows? It's two, two big, muscly dudes shooting shit. Yeah. Until you single shot run out of things to shoot shit. Bastards. I hate single-shot death. Uh, yeah. The uh, I'm always shocked that they never made a movie about this. Well, I guess it's kind of like some of those games. I, I want to say it's they stole their uh, the aesthetic from movies because I know was it Metal Gear has uh, uh, Michael Bean from the uh, from Aliens, right, right. And I think I think uh, their thing is like stolen from like Commandos. Well, maybe that Commando came out later, but. <clears throat> It's like stolen from some Arnold film or something like that. So yeah, it looks like I Predator. That it's one of those games that something like that. Yeah, it's very much like they stole just images from that and just drew over it and said, "Here's original characters." 
We know that if it adapted into a movie, that would have been Dolph Lundgren and Van Damme. Who are we kidding? <laughs> oh, I would so totally see it. I would too. <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back in time and pitch it. Yep, let's go to 1991 before Universal Soldier and be like, "Hey, I know you guys can't afford Stallone and Schwarzenegger, but look for a bargain price you can get these two. Well, my next one is a game called Dragon Spirits. Don't now, know that one. Look this up while I talk about this, because okay, yeah, I, I don't, I don't actually have much to say about this because I've never played this one or even had heard about this until I started doing my research. But I look, I was looking at it, and I kind of feel bad that I never had a chance to try this because it kind of looks pretty neat. It's a fantasy vertical scroller, basically like you know all those like 1940 blah 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 games oh, where you're planes. Yeah, I play the shit Imagine out of this. I would totally play this. Yeah, it's like it's. Yeah, imagine that you're a dragon now, and turn all the enemies into fantasy shit. Yeah, this is this is actually my favorite I'm, style of game is the top-down shooter. Yeah, this thing, this thing looks neat. I, I mean, yes, this is an audio forum, so look it up because you should see this thing. This looks pretty fucking cool. If you cool. like these type of games, I. Why have I never played this game? I never even heard it's, of it. It's not like it. Yeah, it's not like it wasn't released in the U.S. Apparently, it was. Yeah, on the Nintendo like, Bandai did it. Some, yeah, it's like I know I've mentioned some like games in the past that were Japan only releases that I thought were cool, and I feel sad that we didn't get them. This one we got. But yeah, I I need to find an arcade that has retro games, or I need to find a. Uh, a thing for this. I need, to get, your I need to get. Your I need to get my. Yeah, I need to get my friend to build your Raspberry Pi. Or fuck it, just move here. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Now on something that I have played, and I'm sure not very many people, especially now listening to, probably have, but they will at least know the series, Street Fighter. Oh right, yeah. I, I never played the first this, one. Oh, this, yeah, it is, Street Fighter sucks. Like, I'm genuinely surprised someone decided to make a sequel based off of this. Because, uh, like, okay, it's not, the game itself, is, it's a fairly basically generic fighting game. It's, there's not really much to talk about with the exception of the deluxe version of this cabinet. Came with a joystick and also came with like two pads, one for punches and one for kicks. And it would translate how hard you hit those pads yeah. into how hard you how hard you would strike. So it's like if you lightly tapped it, you'd be like a light kick. You know, give a nice little nice little hit, maybe a medium thing, pound it, pound it really hard, it would be a a strong kick. Guess what? Those shit that shit broke really quick. <laughs> Imagine so didn't and, you know, it's like, yeah, there was more of like a, there was a regular cabinet that had the button, you know, regular joystick <laughs> six six buttons, because that's the only way you can really play it. And you're effectively stuck as playing Ryu, which, you know, he has his familiar tax and all that stuff. But, you know, aside from later games taking uh, characters like Gen, Birdie, Adon, Saget, uh, and of course Ken. You know, there's really not much in this game. It 
like it's just generic it's actually kind of ugly even for an arcade game at this time like you know a couple of years down the line Street Fighter 2 comes out and it's a much better game much much more worth talking about but I have to talk about this one because it's the first Street Fighter right. game and by the way there was a Nintendo game called Street Fighter Street Fighter 2040 it has nothing to do with the franchise I don't know how they weren't sued out of existence Oh, it was. It was. It's technically a sequel because you're playing as Ken. What? I had that game. It, it, is, is, it is fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, they, well, it, I get, if I remember right, in Japan, it is. It is. And then they just kind of removed most of the references except the name, I guess, something like that. But yeah, it is. It is technically a sequel. Oh, God. I remember ordering that from fucking Sears and being like, this sucks. But APB, now here's here's one that's fun. It's uh, which is ironic, kind of a precursor to the original Grand Theft Auto. This is this overhead car combat game where you're a cop and you have to like make a daily code of arrests. In a weird way, it's also kind of like Paperboy, in the sense where you're having to go and you know stop people and do these things. So it's kind of like that. And you kind of think of how Paperboy ran, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, go down the street and avoid obstacles and do what you're you're tasked to do. APB is basically that same thing. But I also say kind of like a precursor to to Grand Theft Auto, because every now and then you get an APB for a serious criminal and you have to chase them down. And then after you arrest them, you got to shake the sh- you got to shake the shit out of them and get a confession. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like you you in this game you can drive around and crash into stuff, so it, which will get you demerits and ultimately get you fired. But uh, it, in as much it's not a huge open world, but there was a lot in this game that you could do that if you wanted to just be a, a crazed maniac, you could be a crazed maniac. And if that's the case, then you could just manage to uh, do what you needed to do. You get rewarded for it. So I don't know if you've ever played this one, but like I said, it it was definitely one that I, I enjoyed playing every now and then. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Um, well, here's one, Pac-Mania. <clears throat> Is that the one that's like Dr. Mario Tetris? Am I wrong? No, this one's the uh, it's an isometric version of Pac-Man. Okay, okay, I had this in a Pac-Man pack on my uh, Game Boy. Yeah, it's like it graphically this actually looked pretty good. Yeah. I, I think I think I've played this, but at the same time I don't remember ever playing this one. I actually enjoyed it. Like, if I remember it, it's easier to play than normal Pac-Man, so it's not as frustrating and it looked beautiful. Yeah, it's like there's like two new ghosts uh that were running around. Uh and you can also jump over the ghosts. But uh there were these ghosts as well. Uh, one of them could actually jump at later stages, and then one of them, I want to say it's like it was like a steel ghost or something like that, you couldn't actually jump over. But they gave you new power pellets. Uh, you know, like there's a red one that could double the value of any time you eat the ghosts, and there's like a speed boost one. There was some new, pa- there were some new other little things you could eat. And it's... And again, it's kind of weird because they gave you a lot more freedom. That's kind of faux 3D, but at the same time, it's still Pac-Man. 
just Pac-Man Plus. Sorry, I was yawning. I hope you didn't catch that. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's about it. You know, it's like, I, I, I racked my brain going, did I play this one or not? It seemed familiar enough, because I do remember, I seem to remember jumping over ghosts. But yeah, I, also, I played this one a lot. But... We're now to console gaming. Gaming is really going to start start uh, expo- exploding out. <clears throat> Castlevania. You're Simon Belmont. You have to kill Dracula because it's fate and destiny and family things. And there's a shit ton of these games. <clears throat> I can't believe there's not and a fucking movie. Is the cartoon good? Have you seen it? The cartoon was okay. The cartoon was okay. It's... If, you might as well watch like Vampire Hunter D though at the same time because that one's I think a little better of a Castlevania Castlevania movie than the Netflix one was. Yeah, I just feel but, like uh, we should get Hemsworth <laughs> as Simon Belmont. This is a really fun game, and it's before it gets so complicated and impossible to play. Uh, well, no, this even this one was complicated and impossible to play because your hit the hitboxes sucked. Your jump was terrible. I don't know. I was I'm terrible at video games. I was pretty good at this one. Yeah, it's it is it is such a terribly difficult game, but at the same time, so much fun because yeah, you have 18 stages that you're going around exploring the castle. You. Later on, you'll start backtracking a lot more in these games. Yet, you get new power-ups, you get new weapons, aside from your whip. It's like so much stuff in this thing. You know, it's... There's a good reason why uh, Castlevania has lasted as long as it did, even though they've eventually abandoned this uh, style of gameplay to just kind of more generic 3D action nonsense. I love my 2D. But let's, let's let me pair this with the other one of the other big games that that uh, happened this year, which is Metroid. Wow, two spooky you games in a row that launched a franchise. Yeah, it's like you're the armored bounty hunter Samus who have you have to navigate this giant facility, find the parasitic Metroid from and retrieve it from space pirates. It is. This and Castlevania are responsible for the Metroidvania genre. Basically, at the especially Metroid in particular, that's why it comes first. You uh, are running around large environments, finding power-ups that will actually allow you to get to other port, other parts of the maze. It's like you could only get to certain points, and then you have to backtrack and find something else to get you further along. And like I mean, for an NES game, Metroid—the Metroid level is huge. Yeah, and it's also one of the first games that had a twist ending, because <clears throat> you discover that Samus—if if you do enough of it, complete it in a certain amount of time—you discover that Samus is a woman. I wonder how the dude bros like what? No. Yeah, this badass hardcore dude in a suit is actually a chick. And then, if you beat it even faster, you get to see her in her pixelated underwear. Why would or we want that? Suitor. That's kind of dumb. Or <laughs> uh, just horny guys uh, 
making a joke, I guess. It's just, yeah, if you could beat it, if you could speed run the game, yeah, you'd get the, the super special ending where she's in less clothes. Hey, it's the 80s. You'll, get, you'll use whatever you can. If you have to see Samus in her undies, then gosh darn it, Samus in her undies. <laughs> Pixelated undies. <laughs> Dang it. <clears throat> All right. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Because I know we talked about Punch-Out before. Right, and I, I enjoy the arcade version better than the home version. But no one remembers the arcade yeah. version, so... Uh... And that's the thing. It's like, and what's kind of surprising is like they take this very technical arcade game, and they did manage to shrink it down, and really maintained what made the arcade version awesome, but in this little minuscule version of it. Yeah, because they now, had to get rid of the, also, the 3D wire graphics, right? What do you call that? Yeah, so that's why, that's why they actually created a character. That's why you know little, you have to do with little Mac, who's now your little to do it at the bottom of the screen which by having to actually make a person that you see they ended up also creating a story and cutscene I would say cutscenes but it's basically just one one scene mm -hmm. that you just do a couple of times but they also had to change the AI a bit because in the original game you you know people that you're fighting had didn't necessarily have set routines or anything they were just you know, they had skills and stuff that they did, but you didn't have patterns that that in the uh, NES version you actually had to memorize if you wanted to make your way through. Plus, this game did feature, as I stated before, a tie-in with heavyweight boxer Mike Tyson. And he was paid 50K for a three-year period of his likeness. And then once that ended, it was just retitled Punch-Out, and they changed the final fighter to Mr. Dream. Well, and then the Super Punch Out, actually, they didn't they didn't bother to have a celebrity endorsement, but that started the trend though. Remember, they started doing uh, like every boxer after that started getting like a deal. Oh yeah, well, it's you know very you know name recognition helps out quite a bit. But that was the thing. It's like I had granted years down the line a bit. I had thought that this change in the game was because of. You know Mike Tyson's rape arrest. Yeah, you know, like, that's what I thought oh, too. We can't have Mike Tyson's name attached to it. But no, the the change this game changed in 1990. The arrest wasn't until 91. So yeah, this was just just kind of how it how it just ran itself instead of just being a oh we can't be associated with Mike Tyson anymore. It was no we contractually can't be associated with Mike Tyson anymore. I just remember playing the crap out of us. I remember the stupid names, too. They were so on the nose. You know, uh, Glass Joe, uh, Bald Boa. Was there a uh, fucking, like, Pizza Pasta we or something? Had, we had Soda Popinski, oh, who was originally, in the, in the uh, Japanese version, Vodka Drunkinski. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's a much better uh, change. Because as messed up as that is now, <laughs> even at the time, good lord, yeah, that was that was a bit much even even then, and we didn't give a shit at that time. 
bed. Hold on one second. I just lost my notes. You lost your nose? Oh my god, tape that thing on. There we go. I'm back. Alright. The last console game I'm going to talk about for this one, and there's still some more, so don't worry. Uh, Legend of Zelda. Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's something about, you know, Link, a Triforce. Oh, is it based on that movie with Tom Cruise? Zelda? Or Legend? Some girl running around in, uh, in tights, in green tights called Zelda. <clears throat> But yeah, it, this was the first console game to actually include an internal battery. Now, granted, this is 87, so there were internal batteries at this point. But this was released in Japan in 86 originally, so it's the first game to have an internal battery. Uh, you know, it's this action-adventure RPG where you have this pretty large map. You explore dungeons, you gain these items, and you pretty much do any, you know, you can explore this at your leisure. Like, uh, there wasn't necessarily a set path where it's like, oh yeah, you have to do this. Right, it changed the rules because everything was time-oriented or it was meant to pump quarters in to kill you as soon as possible. This in Dragon Warrior changed the genre. Yeah, because all you had to do was, you, you could explore the dungeons in any order, although let's be honest, that it would be a much more difficult way if you just did it in whatever order. So it, they did intend you to do it in a certain way, but yeah, in, in theory, you could, once you get the once you get the sword, you could run to you know whichever dungeon you pleased. Because usually you get the tools that you need for the dungeon in the dungeon. But again, it, it usually helped because there's some, in some of these ones, obviously, you probably needed, I'm trying to remember Zelda and, I'm sure there's some dungeons where it's like, yeah, you can't do this one until you have this item. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that was a thing. I haven't played it forever, but I remember we just spent summers, like two summers on end, just playing through this over and over. And, uh, you know, the minute you were done, you wanted to start again because you could take the journey in a different way. And just that map became your best fucking friend. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny, what's cool about this was, once you beat it, you unlock the second quest, which was a more difficult version of the game yeah. with different dungeons, altered locations, and new secrets. And I've never really and been it's... able to play another Zelda game. I played the one on the Super Nintendo at Link. What is the second one called? Oh, well, the second one was Zelda, was, uh, Zelda 2, but uh, Zelda 3 Link to the Past to was the, past. the Super Nintendo yeah. one. I love it, but I never really got that far into it. Some games just grab me and I hold on forever and I never get back to it again. That, the third one is still my favorite one, although I do have Breath of the Wild for my Switch, and it's a weird thing where, honestly, it's uh, I like open world games, but that game feels a little too open world. Yeah. At least there's an edge to Legend of Zelda where you can't go any further. <laughs> yeah, I... I like having some limits to yeah, what I can yeah, do. Yeah. Open world and then endless world is different. Well, uh, is that it? Is that no, all our stuff from 87? No. Oh. No, there's still some more. Oh, my God. We're almost uh, out of the So tired. <laughs> yeah. So, there's some... Okay, well, I'll go, I'll go shoot, shoot through these ones pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, there's some other games that came out that are notable, but I'm not going to do too much. 
Double Dribble, Kid Icarus, Burger Time, Goonies 2, The Karate Kid, uh, Spy Hunter, uh, the port of it came from the NES, and Rad Racer, which was featured in The Wizard as not only the game, one of the games at the big championship at the end, but it's in the Power Glove scene. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> okay, and I'll, I'll shoot these ones out quickly. Uh, there are a couple good PC games that came out. Uh, Sid Meier's Pirates, which was an open-world pirate game where you could you'd start as a privateer for like the Spanish, Dutch, English, or French, and your loyalties can uh, shift over time. You can pretty much do whatever you want. You can hunt pirates, attack towns, seek treasure. It uh, The game is basically open-ended and pretty much only ends when you decide to retire or you get too old. Oh, okay. And you're forced to retire. Huh. And it's basically, based on what you did in the game, you're given a post-piracy life where you could be either a beggar all the way up to like the king's advisor, just kind of based on the accomplishments that you did. You know, the one that you mentioned earlier, I want to say real quick, Kid Icarus was one of those first, like, potential franchise things that Nintendo had going for him. It was even in that cartoon Captain N, and it just, I mean, there's been sequels, but no one ever talks about them. It's one of those franchises no. that just never happened. Yeah, I, I've never liked Kid Icarus. I've never played it, it. I think part of, it's, I don't like the game itself, but I think it's also, a lot of it is colored by the fact that it is in Captain N, and he's horrible, he's annoying. Yep. He's almost—he's about as bad as that uh, Link from the. Zelda oh, excuse well. me, John. <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards. Oh boy. Yeah, that—that that interesting uh, game. You're a middle-aged virgin, uh, Larry Laffer, and you gotta get Larry laid. He's a total—he's a total creep uh, in disco clothes. He speaks constantly in double entendres and it's cringy as hell even at the time it was cringy as hell uh, and there's so many of them it's, low rent PC yeah, it, gaming it, it, it's a it's not necessarily a bad game it's just it's what it is you know uh, the, it's, well, actually one of the darkest things about it though is, is not not the fact that you're trying to get you know trying to get this pathetic loser laid it's if you fail to complete your goal Larry commits suicide what the fuck yeah <laughs> some thing uh, but it managed to be a sleeper hit and yeah got a ton of sequels I've played the one that came out for the Xbox what X was it Xbox uh, did 2? Did this have a National Lampoon's yeah. Presents Leisure Suit Larry? It just feels like a National Lampoon bullshit thing. It, it, it was kind of National Lampoon. It was set in a college. It was. It actually had as much of the, the cringiness in it. It wasn't horrible. Like you kind of have to accept some things about it, but uh, it wasn't. It was not actually a bad game. just wasn't a good game either. Mm -hmm. Now, lastly, Maniac Mansion. Oh, wow. The absolutely terrible TV show. Not bad video game. Yeah, Lucasfilm's point-and-click adventure where you you have to save your hero's girlfriend from Mad Scientist. 
And, you know, it's this uh, comedic game filled with horror and B-movie elements. And basically it made LucasArts a serious competitor to Sierra Games, who were doing kind of the same thing at the time. And it's, it's a wonderfully twisted fun game. And they did an NES port that is just as fun, but definitely not as, I don't want to say, not as complex, because, you know, some of these point-and-click games. Solutions to those puzzles are really stupid. <laughs> All right, anything else? But that is it. That is it. Yay! All right, so everybody check yeah, us out on Facebook. Oh, sorry, go ahead. What? No, I told you, we had more this time, finally. Oh, yeah. I just want to make sure I wasn't cutting you off. I thought that was the end. But um, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. Check out John where? I'm on Twitter, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. I'm also on Twitch now. I might be doing something with video games on that. I don't know. But same name. I should do that with my Raspberry Pi. I have no idea how to do the Twitch thing, though. But Mio, teach me how. Yeah, as soon as I figure it out. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, that is it for tonight, or whenever you're listening to this. I assume you're going to bed, because uh, we put you to sleep. Oh, yeah. Um, that is it. Have a good night. Hey, everybody. It is time to thrill me, the, the uh, section of, hey, how about I start again? <laughs> I do this every time. Fuck it. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to do an introduction anymore. Screw it. We're just, hey, I'm Michael. That, we're going to, uh, we just need, like, a general, like, copy-paste kind of intro. Yeah, or a theme song or something. I realize it's just... Well, it's also we changed the name halfway through. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> all right. It, it, would, it would take the edge off of having to start. And they're like, oh, what was the, what was the intro again? Oh, I know. Right. It would. I, I should just do this for now. Okay, so let's just fast forward. We're discussing the Boogans and Evil Dead, the original. And uh, if you've been paying attention to the show, we've been going through 1980 on up. 1981 is really, really long. So most of the movies we'll be discussing on the show seems to be in this period of time. Dude, I looked at the schedule for like the late 80s on, and we're going to have like nothing. Like a handful of movies. That's it. That's all right. We got, we got, we got so many to go through uh, for, for this year that I think we're going to be all right. Yeah. It's, it was, what I noticed is like in 87, everything starts switching out of horror to like uh, sexual thrillers and stuff like that. Like the whole basic instinct, fatal attraction is where it starts moving to. And, uh, and other than that, it's all the franchises. But we already did all the Halloweens, all the Friday the 13th. Um, uh, all the Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Streets. And I did the Phantasm, sadly, with somebody else. I'm sorry. Um, but that's it. It's, it's just petering out. So, yes, but I'm looking at this list in, like, the early 80s is when we had that slasher boom. And then, of course, we have the special effects breakthrough boom. So we got two different types of horror movies going on at the same time. Plus, we have the normal everyday thrillers. So, yeah, early 80s. Wild. Yep. All right, so uh, the lesser known one is the Boogans. I, I say Boogans. I've heard other people say Boogans. How would you say it? Oh, Boogans. That's how I would yeah. say it. Uh, if you want to know what the similarity is between the movies, I chose them because they're kind of set in cabins uh, and lots of cool special effects, not slasher movies, um, which was like the go-to for this year. Like I would say 75% of the movies that came out in this genre are slashers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and this yeah, one, when, when Halloween came out in what seventy nine? Uh, came out seventy eight. Seventy eight. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like the the birth of the genre, or like a rebirth. I don't know. Yeah. There was a 
popular sort of like slashery kind of movies in the 1940s. Now there's a couple, but I don't know if it was like hugely popular uh, and like kind of had a revival at this point. Right, and then of course we had uh, Friday the 13th in 1980, and that was like the one like, hey, we can start centering things around holidays. So 1981 is loaded like you know. Uh, happy birthday to me, um, my bloody Valentine, graduation day, Mother's Day, stuff like that. Prom night. Yeah. The, uh, the Boogans is another one of these uh, really cool independent movies. It seemed like they weren't crafted so much for profit. I mean, of course, that's the goal with any movie is to make the money back. But it was like, hey, let's make something cool and unique. And in, in just like Evil Dead, it feels handcrafted and on a very small budget. And you can kind of forgive it because it's not made cynically. Yeah, definitely. I, I do appreciate that there is a, a sense of of, uh, of being genuine, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. Authenticity that uh, a lot of, like, say, Hollywood movies at this time were kind of doing similar concepts, but, you know, obviously it was very cynical. Just to try to jump on a trend, but it seemed like they were trying a couple new things or kind of doing things a little bit differently, and I think it kind of really works for them. Well, this, like My Bloody Valentine, taps into something no one really discusses in horror is not only claustrophobia, but what the fuck is going on in mines? To me, they're terrifying. I have no idea what they're digging into the earth, and you never know what you're going... I mean, of course, My Bloody Valentine's just a slasher film, but I always wonder, like, what creatures, what, what you know, like... You know, could you open up a doorway to Cthulhu or something down there? <laughs> yeah, well, what's their recent movie that had to do with my... Oh, yeah, um, uh, Adam Sandler one. Uncut Gems. Oh, I'm, um, I'm literally watching that right that now. I've watched is, 20 minutes of it. That one is kind of a horror movie in, like, what we do to people to get these little pieces of rock that we sell for a far greater value than what we get them for. Yeah. That one's kind of a horror in its own right. Yeah, I mean, there's been The Cave and The Descent... Um, but those are, you know, caves, obviously, but it's still the same mentality. You're digging into something like underwater, a world that we really don't know what's in there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that you can do with that concept. I know that, like, when I was in Iceland, there was these uh, underground reservoirs that people used to swim in, but you can't anymore because tectonic shifts uh, cause, like, heat vents to go in, and now it's just too hot for people to be inside. But being in those caves is just really freaking creepy. Wow, I've I, I've known you for years. This is the first time that's ever come up. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I haven't really talked about it. I have a picture of me in the cave doing like a, a b-boy stance for some reason. <laughs> I, I can I, never. I I'm too claustrophobic. Like I couldn't do it. It looks really cool in there. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's creepy in the sense that like if, if you fall into that water, you're basically dead. Like no one will save you. Oh my god. And it's just everywhere. <laughs> um. So with this one, it does have a little bit... Same thing with Evil Dead. It kind of plays with the tropes of the genre. Horny teenagers slash young adults uh, going out into the middle of nowhere, either a campsite or like a cabin or something like that. And then, you know, terror strikes and the, it's hard to get out. Um, what yeah, I like it, about... It doesn't make them necessarily stereotypes, which I really like. Yeah. A lot smarter characters. I think they're a little more entertaining. The nudity is actually played uh, in, not in a sleazy way. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it's just for titillation, like, ooh, this is an exploitation flick. Yes, it has nudity, but I, it kind of plays around what you expect from it. Yeah. Uh, there is more, it is more infancy than just, uh, than, than just straight up, like, exploitation sex. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it, the story's kind of split. It's between the kids at the cabin and then the old townsfolk that are in the mine, and they discover they've opened up uh, channels where these creatures that were long since you know buried what like seventy years ago in some accident, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they, they show there's a backstory in the newsprint or whatever that there was an accident. They did it on purpose to bury these creatures, and they want to reopen the mine, and the, the creatures get out or whatever. And I and yes, I don't. I'm really torn on the actual physical effect. When you don't show its face, it's kind of scary. But when you see it, it's not what I expect, and it's kind of goofy looking. Yeah, it's more. It's like a a, re, a rejected uh, puppet for the fly, uh, the uh, gold. Uh, um, Jeff Goldblum version. Yeah. Goldblum in it. Kind of remembers me. I was hoping you meant Goldberg the wrestler. That would have been a whole different movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's physical effects, and um, you can you can. I think that a lot of the problem also is because they don't coat it with anything, so it just looks like flat rubber. And yeah. when it's just the arms though flying around, it is pretty uh, scary, and it has kind of an like a Jaws feel where you, you only see a bit of it and you're not sure what exactly what is going on. But then you see it. I will give it the credit for being unique, though, because it's not a guy in a suit. This is all puppetry, and it's low to the ground, and it can, it can just crawl around really fast. And, um, and of course, it's, it's so low budget. I think it was like $650,000, so I can't blame them too much for not having a great monster. Yeah, it would have been nice to have some variation. Um, like maybe they can be in the water and like pull people in or... It's, Something, something else other than just kind of on the ground running at you. Yeah, and uh, I thought what they the dog does die. Warning everybody, the dog does die, but they do it in a very tasteful way that you only kind of sort of hear it. You don't show it, which that always pisses me off in movies. Um, God, well, that, that dog sucked anyway. So. <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> um, Sorry, those like mini gappy dogs. I, I, I can't stand that. Yeah. And like the. the the gal never like tried to train that dog. Oh, it's so frustrating. No, it's a Canadian film, and you can kind of feel that. There's no names in this that you would really recognize. I think the most is the girl who owned the dog. She was in a TV show called uh, Sledgehammer for a few seasons, and that's it. Uh, this is uh, just a homegrown Canadian film. Yeah, you can tell when they say sorry. <laughs> What's that all about? Very much tell. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about this. It has a really uh, cool uh, setup at the end where they're just running through the mines. They shoot it decently. I, I think that the, the very final part, though, where the girl keeps tripping over and over was cliche and stupid. I mean, there's no reason why she kept falling over and just sitting there. Yeah, it, it does adhere to a lot of tropes, but I think it did a really good job in giving us the characters that we've seen before, but making them a little different or making them fleshed out to feel like actual people. Like usually, like a movie like the, the Terminator, uh, Sarah Connor's uh, roommate is just like the stereotype sex, uh, sex lady. I don't know what, what kind of stereotype you would say about that, but she's just there to be killed in the first act and then you. Right. But in this one, they kind of have those characters, but they actually flesh them out into being very interesting. Uh, people well educated. They had good jobs. They uh, cared about their friends. Uh, one of them was even like hustling people at school. So like there was, they had more going on for them than just sex appeal. Uh, but it was, I was actually uh, concerned about them when they were in a dangerous situation. Yeah, you if you invest enough time and you give something to care about, yeah, it, it bothers you when they die. 
Seen any of his like movies. Their, their characters are like the stereotypical type of characters in uh, cult movies or like uh, horror movies, but they all have like a much more interesting character. Okay. So I say yes to this. Um, Olive Pictures finally put it out on Blu ray. It was lost for a long time, uh, but I, I cheated and I got the copy off of YouTube. <laughs> yeah, everyone's voice is much deeper on YouTube, but it, it doesn't take away from it. No. The, uh, so do you recommend this one? I would recommend this one, yeah. The, the, final, the final bit is a little slow and a little weird, but it's a low-budget movie. It, 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 you can't really hold it against it. Nah. Now, we're talking about a legendary film on a very low budget, but in order to get such an exciting film, he had a, Sam Raimi came out of nowhere trying to do some new film techniques, new styles of editing, and basically borrowing money from everybody he could, <laughs> parents, dentists, whoever, and somehow, say yeah. yeah, somehow scrapped this movie together. And while it wasn't a big hit in America, even though it got the uh, the buzz from Stephen King, uh, it was a decent international hit and huge on video. Evil Dead. Yeah, it, it, it obviously spawned uh, two fantastic sequels, and it is I, I, and it is like it is iconic uh, today. It's definitely I don't know one thing. Right, it's it spawned comic books, video games, a TV show on Stars for three years, and it's it is different. Oh, I, Every I, single I, entry I, of this is different. Oh, and a remake, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Um, each one of the films is so different that you it's one of the like it's Bill and Ted where it has a different driving engine behind it. This one is pure unadulterated terror, and it still fucks me up to this day. It's yeah, it's 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 very. I think the, the, the tree rape scene, uh, a little silly, but for, after that, it gets really dour. Yeah, and he, he regrets doing that scene, and I understand why. Um, <laughs> there, there, and there's some stuff that's so outrageous and so over the top that there's almost a black comedy sense to it, so it's so outrageous that it's kind of funny. But it's not like the way it is that he would go with Evil Dead 2, where it's slapstick. And then 3, of course, which is all out kind of high adventure with uh, some horror elements. Yeah, it, there's a progression of the first one being mainly trying to instill a sense of terror. The second one kind of doing the same thing, but adding more comedic elements to it. And then the third one just being straight up comedy with some horror elements. Yeah, it's... You know, it's just shot in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee in this rundown cabin they had to clean out, and it looks just like gunk. I I feel like these kids were conned living in this fucking shithole. Um, but the whole thing just feels so grimy, so low budget, and that adds to it. Shooting on 16 millimeter with some horror movies has a different feel than say 35. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was taking a drink. Um, and with it, the special effects, I think, the gunkiness of it, it's so gooey, so flaky. I know, it makes no sense when I say the word flaky, but if you've seen the movie, you understand what I'm saying. Like, the skin's drying off of them. It's just like, it's, it's Italy did this with some of their zombie movies, but for some reason, they couldn't sell it in the same way. You know, when we watched um, Zombie, our very first episode with Dawn of the Dead, they had that style of special effects, but something about it isn't that terrifying. Whereas Evil Dead, there's something so unnerving on how they create the demons. Yeah, I think it worked 
it, it works so well because the situation is otherworldly in a way that not a lot of movies are able to do properly. I, 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 it, it is so unnerving and creepy the way that they move, the way that they talk. Um, and, and yeah, just like the, the transformation that these people go through. Uh, and so, like, having these sort of claymation scenes, which are, you know, obviously haven't aged well, I think kind of adds to the movie. Yeah, there's something kitschy, but also, like, eerie about seeing slow mo, or not slow mo, sorry, uh, stop motion now that. CGI, I can tell it's CGI, and yes, I know it's stop motion, but it's so jittery and weird, and especially at the end when they're all falling apart, maggots are falling out of their face and everything like that, I'm like, oh, that's fucking just unnerving as hell, disgusting. Yeah, in a way, they're doing it in CG, like the, um, the thing remake slash prequel, uh, although all the CG effects in the world wouldn't make uh, that movie terrifying. It, it, it just doesn't feel right to when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, this looks really dumb. This looks yeah, really which, is, which is bizarre with and that movie. Watch, and then you can watch this, where it's claymation, which is, which is like shit from the 1930s, and be like, oh my god, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's, just, it's very different. And and Bruce Campbell uh, just basically taking a beating, just like he does in every single movie, but this one, I feels like it hurts more, because of the way he, the tone is he's getting the shit beat out of him, but it, it, it's outrageous in kind of like dark comedy, but at the same time, he's losing his girlfriend, he's losing his sister, he's losing his friends, and the fact that he has to basically kill all of them, um, it really stings in this one compared to the sequels. Yeah, and another thing that's really interesting about this movie is that Bruce Campbell's character, Ash, is not the likely protagonist that you would expect. Right, yeah, it does throw you for a loop. You don't expect him to be the final one. Yeah, the whole time he's the one that's scared, not doing anything while his friend's kicking all the ass, and then his friend suddenly dies, and then now he's on his own, and it just makes it so much more intense to watch this person try to survive the night, even though we've seen him fail the entire time until now. Yeah. Do you remember the very first time you saw this movie? Oh, yeah. Um, that must have been, like, early high school for me. I think probably ninth grade. Um, I was just watching it uh, in the living room. Uh, everyone in my house was asleep, and I was just watching by myself, and I was just horrified the entire time. Now, did you watch it off television, or did you watch the the whole the original thing? Oh, man, I think I got a VHS copy of it, because I was a huge fan of the uh, Army of Darkness, so I oh. wanted to see the first one. The uh, My parents had gone on vacation the winter of 93. And my friends came over, and we had, like, a movie marathon. We're watching some of the cliche stuff. I mean, it was first-time watch for me, like, Strange Brew, Holy Grail. And then when it was over with, I flipped over to USA Up All Night, and they always showed really trashy, campy movies, and they were showing Evil Dead. And when it was over with, we were all so fucked up, so, like, what did we just watch? And this is the edited-for-television version. And the next day, I did not have a driver's license yet. I walked like two miles in thick, thick fucking snow to the video store to rent Evil Dead 2 and Halloween 5 or 4 or something like that and came back and I was like, holy shit, Evil Dead 2 is not only wild and crazy, but it's still kind of scary. And I wouldn't kid you, a week later I see a trailer for Army of Darkness. What are the chances that I discover that, all of that, and then uh, I went and saw Army of Darkness in the theaters? Yeah, it's, it's really groundbreaking. I want to know what it was like for people who saw it 10 years before me. 
you know, in 1982, before this was like, hey, let's keep topping each other, because we haven't hit the thing yet. And this is like, let's, every movie after this would be like topping each other with special effects. And, I mean, this isn't like the technical special effects you see in like American World from London or Howling, where they were competing with each other. This is like, how fucking gross and outrageous can you get? And it, I, I would have loved to have been in that theater where that movie debuted and be like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what it, like what movie now you could watch that would be equivalent to that. And I can't, I can't really think of anything. No, because they're just not doing this. I mean, the the last Evil Dead is really gross, or the the remake was really gross and outrageous special effects, but it still doesn't top this one because there's something so unnerving about how grimy it all feels, how cheap it all is. Yeah, it feels more realistic. And yeah. Then, like I think that's another reason why it feels more intense seeing uh, Bruce Campbell getting beat the shit out of because you know like they didn't, they, they didn't have money to build like tests in there he's probably actually being thrown into a real book oh yes um, he, he's told in his book how many beatings he took on these movies <laughs> well, well it's also because we didn't know that he was going to be the star that's the other thing is because you assume everybody's going to die but when you see two and three you're like okay so he's just going to be the mascot of the series but in the first one you have no clue yeah, I mean, he's, and he's not really, I, mean, I don't think, no one really survived anyway, but isn't, there isn't really a main character either, like, until the last half of the movie. Right. Like, until then, pretty much everyone splits the screen time. And this kind of launches a style, like a little mini-genre in uh, horror, like the demons. Yes, there's been movies about hell and demons, Satan before this, but this is like a different style. The whole possession, and, and like almost like a zombie plague the way that it transports itself, it would come up, and of course, in the rest of the franchise, but also uh, Demons 1 and 2, uh, there's Night of the Demons trilogy, um, I feel like there's one called The Convent or something like that with Adrian Barbeau, but you can kind of see like the way they made this and the style of the monster would pass on for the next few decades. Yeah, and another, usually what I find possession movies, they usually don't fuck with the the, the person at, at, at all in a way like this movie does. Like usually, like if you watch um, uh, what is this prophecy uh, with um, walking, like when he's possessing people or raising that they look exactly like they did before. Like there's really there's really nothing to indicate whether or not they're uh, that they're like possessed or that they're right. back to life. There, there's like no indicator there. Here, there's a very distinct line between living and dead. Yeah, and that also I think just makes it so much creepier too. That you just—it's not just that, you know, like how strong they are, or how their voice changes, but just how they look. It's just well, it's also the fact that they take away their humanity. Because in all the movies before this, and definitely in like the last decade, every time there's a demon possession movie, oh, they, they just need a Catholic priest or someone to remove the demon and they can go back to normal. No, once you're possessed, you're fucked. You're done. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's the same as a zombie movie. So he really changed the rules and the language of so many movies. Because, I mean, he used all these techniques later in his superhero movies, and then you would see that, you know, copied over and over and over in by other directors. Yeah, and then another thing, too, that really adds to the uh, ambiance of the witch in itself concept, which you brought back for the, the second one, you know, you have to because it's so iconic, but the having the, girl, the, the first possessed girl in the basement um, just fucking with people. It, it's just like yelling, screaming, bashing the, the thing, and it's, it's the, 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 floor, um, the, the floor door. 
Like yeah. It's just always there. It's always present, and it won't go away. You can't kill it. Yeah, he so really uses a audio a lot to terrify you. Sorry, go ahead. I said the audio skills that he uses with a and the slamming yeah. of things, he uses that quite a bit in the first two movies to create that 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 fear factor. Yeah, it, it, it works really well. Yeah, um, absolute thumbs up to this one, Boogans. I say yes, but it's 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 not as high as Evil Dead by any means. This is like a requirement in horror. I was just gonna say this is necessary. Yeah. Um, so anything else you want to say before we go? Yeah, uh, I've only seen the first season of the TV show, but so far, so good. Oh, I haven't even started watching it. I'm afraid that it's going to get too campy because it's not really made by the by Sam Raimi, so I'm afraid that they're going to try to copy the style and fail. Well, no, he is the executive producer, and he does direct the pilot episode. It's insanely gory. It's mind-boggling gory. Oh, sweet. Okay, well, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely watch the pilot. All right, so our next double feature, we're going off the beaten path a little bit. We're going to be watching Nighthawks, a Sylvester Stallone thriller. What? He actually made a thriller. It's the debut of Rudger Hauer in America. Um, it is a thriller about a terrorist, and it has some horror elements to it. And Outland with Sean Connery in space, where they combine High Noon basically with Alien. No monsters, but they use some serious horror elements in it, and they're both great thrillers. I am so excited. I figure we should take a break from horror, and then, of course, I still got, got so many more to go in 1981. And then, oh my god, can you believe in 1982 we're going to have, like, The Thing and Poltergeist and Sword and the Sorcerer, all these, like, crazy, just wild special effects bonanzas. Yeah, this was this was kind of the uh, the year that, for me, I got really into horror, so I'm really excited about it. All right, everybody have a good night. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast, and that's it. Good night. Good night, everyone. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm going to be doing another episode on my own because uh, we're really far behind and I couldn't get things lined up. Uh, either something got in the way for me or something got in the way of other guests. And honestly, for some reason, it's just really hard to get everybody on the same page of the comics. Uh, so hopefully we'll be back in a couple weeks with Avery and I doing uh, Iron Man, The Armor Wars. Um, and then we have some other stuff coming up uh, with numerous guests it's trying to spread it out so maybe it's easier to get some episodes done instead of once every two fucking months, which has been torture for everybody. Um, so there's been a comic book sitting on the back burner that I've been wanting to do for about a year now. I, I, I got really close with one and uh, the person bailed on me for health issues. Uh, I don't blame them. It's just what happens. Um, so the, the storyline is classic G.I. Joe. Uh, it, it's the, basically the death of Storm Shadow, the rise of Zartan. Probably the pivotal story in the entire Larry Hammer run of G.I. Joe. And, um, I, if I remember correctly, yeah, Larry Hammer wrote every single issue and then only stopped after Marvel ceased, uh, production on it and then moved over to Dark Horse and, of course, over to, uh, I want to say DDP? Devil, no? 
I, I got lost somewhere along the way. The Transformers and G.I. Joe label moved around so much for a while. Um, but, you know, Larry Hamm was back on it doing some st- stories. This is back when uh, G.I. Joe basically just had two. Um, it was special missions and this. And then occasionally you'd have a yearbook. I think there's like a bunch of shit going on right now. There have tons of miniseries and spinoffs and uh, the regular series. And then the classic series got picked up again. It's it's bizarre. Um, but this is the uh, run where it's uh, the issues in the 40s. Um, classic G.I. Joe is out of print, but uh, they've been putting out some hardcover uh, copies with, uh, and I guess, more aligned with the special missions and the yearbooks. Whatever came out in order is how they're putting it. This, this classic G.I. Joe collection uh, from IDW uh, is it, basically just the issues of the main series. So this one goes from 41 to 50. Um, huge, phenomenal G.I. Joe fan uh, when it comes to comics. A little bit tougher when it comes to the, the cartoon. Uh, some stuff's great. The, the movie sucked. The animated movie, 87, sucked. Um, I actually liked the live-action films. Uh, a lot of problems with them. But still, hey, it's, it's a G.I. Joe movie, and they're a ton better than the Transformers movie. The um, the first one, uh, odd casting and characters to choose, really. Just why? Why them? Uh, why, why is Stalker not in it? I don't understand that. Why? Uh, never mind. But uh, to me, effects that just didn't work out. The second movie isn't as much fun, even though it's better. Uh, better casting. Uh, killing off everybody seems weird, even though that's kind of in the air. I, I got a, I got a sneaking suspicion that Channing Tatum's character only got blown up and he's not dead. Um, and that Cobra has him and they're going to revive him as Serpentor. But now I don't even know where the hell the G.I. Joe franchise is. Uh, so I, I, you know, I know they're combining it with uh, Mask and um, I can't remember who else is in it. I just totally fuck for Visionaries, I think something obscure like Visionaries. You know, a line that hardly anybody remembers, it, and I think uh, Voltron might be in there. I don't know. It's a whole bunch of shit that I can't remember. But Hasbro's pushing hard. Um, the first, I don't know, forty issues of GI Joe really aren't that great. The art's kind of shitty. Uh, mind you, it's the '80s and Marvel didn't seem like they were really top-notch when it came to art i thought dc was better but the writing was better over at marvel it's funny how that switches at marvel and dc um it's like the 70s uh marvel ruled in the art and then dc was kind of sitting back with the writing and then in the 80s they flipped and then the writing became phenomenal in the uh marvel universe and then dc started picking up with you know it just, it just every decade switches uh the 90s was a, a horrible nightmare for uh, Marvel and DC it was getting better. I mean, and now look, uh, it's so fucking huge that you can't even tell what's going on in any world. They keep rebooting, so whatever. Everybody's got good artists and writers. Uh, a lot of these licensed titles, I feel like no one really gave a shit about. Either they were funded by the company making the toys, like the GI Joe and Transformers, and like Star Wars and stuff like that. So they would publish them and distribute them. Marvel or DC or whoever was the main company. Those are only two, basically, in the eighties. It wasn't until the 90s where there was other options. Um, so when it came to reprints, they could just take them to whoever wanted them. I know Marvel did some of the G.I. Joe and Star... No, I, I'm getting confused again. I think they did some of the trans... Uh, sorry. Star Wars. Yeah. So many fucking licenses. I, I shouldn't even talk about them. They have nothing to do with this. Okay, but... All right. So classic G.I. Joe uh, from IDW. And uh, this is right where it started. Man, it just got so good. I started reading, I think, around issue 28. Uh, J.C. Penny or Sears, they used to put out a box of comics. I think it was all for just one month. Whatever came out in November is what they bundled up and put out for you. 
and uh, probably back then it was like 15 bucks, something like you know, something really low level for 30 comics. They're just trying to clear out whatever excess they had in their warehouse. And we used to get those for Christmas. And I remember, I think the first one was 84, maybe 85. And I got G.I. Joe 28. I'm trying to remember right now. I remember Roadblock is on the cover holding like a big piece of armor, blocking off some shots. I don't know. It was a cool issue, and it really captured my imagination. Only problem is, at the time, you don't have that much money. I wasn't really into comic books yet. I was more into toys, and I had tons of G.I. Joes. I started with the uh, the second series. Um no, actually, no, I did have, I had Breaker and Snake Eyes from the first run, and a few from the second run. It wasn't until run three and four where I just went bananas. I had so many. I was obsessed with Quick Kick and Beachhead, and not really well-known characters uh, now, but back then, they were the shit. Uh, sadly, I'm pretty sure Beachhead is still around, but Quick Kick got mowed down around issue, I think, 108. Um, that is another great storyline, and for some reason, Marvel decided to let, you know, that happened and uh hasbro was like well we're sick of all these characters let's wipe them out and they're like yeah larry hammer you cool with that you're like yeah sure i'll have a soft viper and just mow down 12 guys in one issue and take it out i think uh oh, yeah, i feel like an idiot but i can't remember this i just read it it's like future force 2000 battle force 2000 and uh the worst one was uh they introduced a character i believe in 113 called cool breeze who looked like uh Dwayne wayne from a different world and kadeem hardison's character and uh, he gets killed. That issue, he gets introduced and killed instantly. It was ridiculous. Um, but this is this is going back. That was a great storyline. And then, of course, there's the Snake Eyes arc in the '90s. Uh, I think 90, issue '94 through '98 or something like that. Um, that's great. There's a silent issue which everybody remembers. Deadpool did a funny parody of. Um, I'm talking a thousand miles per hour. I don't know if everybody does this. I think I'm a little nervous trying to fill air. I'm probably gonna pass out halfway through. It's just on the mic. Um, so if you heard the Transformers episode, clearly I was, uh, in a bad place where I was, uh, making fun of a certain person in charge of this country a lot. Huh. I won't be doing that on this one. Uh, G.I. Joe issue 41 is where we start. Now I'm not going to run through every single issue. It's just funny. I kind of just do coverage. I think it's weird when, uh, I think it's maybe my attention span or maybe I just don't have the, the patience for it. But when I do episodes with people who want to analyze every single detail, you're like, fuck me running, man. I, I don't want to sit here for an hour discussing this one issue. I'm kind of a casual talker. It's hard for me to really dig in and go, well, on this page and this page and this page. I don't even think you want that. If you do, let me know. I mean, I'll have someone else do it. I'm not I don't have the patience. No way. Um, this is before G.I. Joe really went phenomenon. I think it was about a year away. By the time this book ends, it's probably when it became like its peak, uh, right when the movie was coming out. And the series had just ended, and uh, I think the toy line was very creative. If you look at that first line, it's so lame, so green, and and the characters just aren't that exciting. You got like Scarlet and uh, Snake Eyes, and those are the only two elaborate characters on the G.I. Joe side. And that's what kind of makes the first 10 issues, 20 issues, kind of rough to get through because they're, it's just visually dull. And that's when they start doing the second season. You got Blowtorch and Gung Ho and, and, you know, uh, and they start introducing like more elaborate costumes. Now, by 89, 90, the characters are fucking ridiculous. And it gets worse from there. I think the last three or four runs were just, uh, why, why are they wearing fluorescent yellow? I mean, sure, they're popular colors at that time. I don't know why everything in the late 80s was so insanely bright. 
It all looked like the opening of Saved by the Bell. Uh, but it doesn't make sense with a, uh, a line like this. Uh, super bright neon. It's just dumb. Um, and look at it. You know, this, this is when Billy started doing recovery from his car accident and uh, t- teaching. Uh, Storm Shadow was teaching Billy how to become a ninja master. I thought that was pretty cool. You got Shipwreck and Rakondo and Alpine and, and some of the classic characters. Lowlight, I think, is part of this run. Uh, we haven't got to the ridiculous where we got Chuckles. Fucking Chuckles. Now, he made, he was made much cooler later, but uh, not in this run. He's fucking ridiculous. Uh, this is after a big battle where they're trying to get to Cobra Island, and they are just beat the hell up. And I, th- I thought it was a really great battle they have with Cobra. But this isn't the meat of the story. The, what is really exciting in this and what captured my imagination was um, Ripcord. Uh, he's basically trying to get revenge on Zartan for his girlfriend. And they end up going through this like really cool sniper battle kind of like, you know, uh, Zartan's got his archery stuff going. And, uh, and Ripcord's trying to take him out with his rifle. And I thought that was really cool, like well thought out battle, not too elaborate, and I like some of the stuff that happens in this comic. And um, you know, they both get severely injured, and somehow they end up switching sides. And I thought that was just cool as hell. You know, uh, Ripcord now pretending to be Zartan and, and end up with the uh, the Dreadnoughts. I don't understand the obsession with grape soda, and um, what's a fucking other thing? Grape soda and shit. Um, and, of course, uh, Zartan pretends to be Ripcord. He gets to the pit, you know, and he's trying to send out a location to Cobra so they can come to the pit and destroy it. And uh, I don't know why I was so incredibly wowed by all of this. And this is, of course, when the toys were not too crazy. I think they kind of peaked around issue 80, around, what was it, 88, where they started to get silly. Um, I always thought it was kind of challenging to introduce all these characters and all these new vehicles without sounding like just you're pitching it as a commercial in a, in a book instead of like making it part of the storyline uh larry hamill would stumble sometimes i think because there wasn't much wiggle room to introduce these characters and uh sometimes he did a phenomenal job it just like it seemed like they're constantly getting recruits it's like every other day is like, well, these guys are already part of the. Okay, they're already on a mission. We we didn't we just got introduced to them as the mission. Okay, whatever. Um, you know, and then this is when Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes are finally making up. You know, they're at each other's throats for so long, and of course, it's part of the movies too. Um, I don't remember it even being part of the cartoon. I have amnesia to that. But you know, finding out that Zartan is actually the assassin of Softmaster Hard. Hardmaster? So I'm pretty sure Softmaster. And, uh, you know, basically for years, Storm Shadow was thought to be the culprit and, you know, became the enemy. But it turns out he actually just joins Cobra in the first place just to, to get to Zartan. And, uh, you know, now the whole thing's got kind of a mess. And, you know, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, man, they're going to kick some serious ass when it comes time. But we're not there yet. Uh, you know, it's weird is when they introduce some characters that do have costumes that make no sense. Like, I love Quick Kick, but now as an adult, I'm going, why are you just wearing pants and a sash? You're a military guy. You should be fully <laughs> dressed. Like, at least get him a shirt, man. Um, you know, and then, and then they're trying to get to Ripcord. 
you know, trying to save his life. And, you know, of course, it's Zartan now. And, you know, Snake Eyes, I think he's everybody's favorite character. Storm Shadow being a very close second. I remember, and this is, makes me seem like a rotten shit, but I was at a friend's house. And he was a good friend. I don't even know why I did this. I think for some reason in my head that I just didn't think stealing was a problem. We're playing with the G.I. Joes. And uh, I coveted that Snake Eyes so bad. And this is the one with the uh, the weird visor, like the Cyclops kind of visor. This is post, you know, just the plain old goggles. Or actually, it wasn't even goggles, like set into the mask. And he came with a wolf. Um, and uh, it was Destro. Destro was the other character, which at the time, I think it was two years after this line had come out, and they're really, really hard to find. I, I stole them. I also, uh, Storm Shadow, I found when I was, uh, I used to deliver newspapers to my father every once in a while. And uh, I remember stopping in like a Revco or a Rite Aid or something like that and uh, finding a Storm Shadow. And dad was like, well, we'll come back tomorrow or something. We get the money and we'll get it. And it was gone. And I just saw I was so stewed up about that. Like, I wanted it. But back to the Snake Eyes and Destro thing. So I took them over to my uncle's house. And my uncle was only a few months older than me. And I was playing with them. And uh, one of the kids across the street came over and he saw them. And I remember him. We're playing guns or whatever. We just, this is back in the day when you just had a toy Uzi that looks like a fucking Uzi. No, I'm stunned that any of us are still alive. And uh, we're running around the top of the house and uh, playing guns, whatever. And I remember him stalling for a long ass time in his bedroom. And then my toys were gone and we never did anything about it. And I was really upset. and I was angry as hell. But, you know, I stole them. So he stole them. It seemed kind of like it was justice in a way, you know, uh, I deserved it. But my friend didn't deserve it in the first place. You know, the one I took it from, I feel like a shit. For doing that but um okay back to the story so you know they're ripping through cobra base and on the other side you got you got quick kick and spirit and flint flint i always thought flint was cool he was my guy people had falcon uh they had hawk they had duke and flint those are kind of like the main like commander kind of or at least they looked like they were um but yeah flint was my dude uh, i i was a huge fan of him uh there's some goofy stuff in here though there's some characters i really don't understand why they have like uh, the powers that they do because it didn't seem practical. In the, like, okay, why are, you, why are you just putting a guy out there with a gigantic periscope? I mean, it's fucking huge periscope. That's like man at arms kind of He Man ridiculous shit. Mecha neck. And uh, I feel like there was like some way he had like tripwire, I think. He just had like a scanner for bombs. It just seemed dumb. It just didn't make any sense. It was just like a variation of toys that were just to sell, but it, it logically it didn't work. Seriously, Chuckles, he's got a 45 and he was dressed like Magnum PI. That doesn't make sense in military war. And uh, Cutter, seriously, Cutter. Uh, at least uh, some of these characters, you know, if... Okay, Cutter works because he drives a boat, but man, they didn't give him anything cool to do. It's just like a hat and a vest. Come on, seriously? No. Um, shipwreck, you know, at least Shipwreck had a couple weapons. I think he had a small pistol and uh, some sort of like mace kind of thing on ropes. And, you know, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow trying to get off the island, and they're just doing They're goring people up. This is crazy for a, a comic book based on a toy. They're just slicing and dicing. And uh, so, oh, there's Doc. I forgot Doc. Sadly, Doc would die with Quick Kick or in that storyline I was telling you about. But Doc was also another, like, hey, he's a practical toy. No one liked Doc. I mean, it's weird that the only there's only a few black characters in the early runs of G.I. Joe Two of them was Soccer uh, and Roadblock. Awesome characters. Great. I mean, those are pivotal characters. And then there's Doc. And it's like, oh, he's got a cool helmet. That's it. Just, he's a Doc. So there's another doctor that came in, too. I don't know. I don't even know why they bother with the second medical person. It just seems silly. Uh, Beachhead. 
and wetsuit wetsuit had a badass suit um this is when the colors started going almost borderline silly um because it just seems silly why would you wear the bright red and the green and the white you know come on um you know, as a toy, he was really cool. He had, like, these little things you put on his feet. And the eels, who were also in this, they had those little uh, webbed um, add-ons you could just slap onto the back of the feet. Dr. Mindbender is a part of this. Fucking Dr. Mindbender. What a douche nozzle. Also, not wearing a shirt. Come on. What is with the, the characters without clothing? I mean, we're in military war here. This is crazy. You know what I love about the G.I. Joe series, the comic that is, is it really dived into these strange political things. You know, uh, G.I. Joe in general seemed like it was right-wing propaganda. It's the 80s. You know, Reagan was president. Everybody was all super patriotic, crazy about America. Look at Rocky IV. You know, that's like the peak. Uh, Red Dawn and uh, the 1984 Olympics. We're just going nuts. You know, where everybody's so like, America's the greatest thing on the planet. And oddly, G.I. Joe does embrace that, but it also takes a different view of people who do view America in a different light like into them it's positive but it's kind of xenophobic and it's greedy and it's controlling and in a strange way cobra does seem patriotic they just have a very twisted version of what patriotism is and and you see a lot of that today uh it's i think it's around issue 84 they kind of dive into the origins of what happened to Billy, you know, and his mother and stuff like that. And what, how Cobra Commander even started the thing. If I remember correctly, he was like a fucking truck driver or something. And things weren't working out for me. He had a silly ass mustache. And I thought that was kind of funny. Because no one's ever seen Cobra Commander's face until this point. Um, well, at least we thought. Uh, there is a further issue down the road where you have Destro and Cobra Commander without their covers. Um, and you see them. But I'm, I'm assuming it's just makeup. But the real version of Cobra Commander and that goofy version of Kogerman are really close so he's a frustrated like blue collar kind of guy and he's sick and tired of the government overreaching and you know uh, setting his life he blames things besides himself for his failures and he starts doing like I almost like Amway where he's traveling the country selling stuff but he seems to be selling imaginary stuff like the idea of things um well i said i wasn't gonna do it but good god there's stuff about this that really seems like it's trump you know or it's a lot of scamming a lot of like preaching xenophobia and oh how things great how great things used to be and uh manipulating people who are angry and frustrated well it's not even it's not even really him uh i should just say it's been going on for a while now that's how the kkk works white supremacists work they find a young um somewhat uneducated or ignorant uh young men and they push this idea of greatness through not education through busting your ass at your job through uh blaming others it's a sign of weakness and that's what cobra commander kind of does he goes around to these small little bum fuck towns and he picks up these people who are frustrated and angry too you know the 70s was a tough decade i mean i was barely alive for it but what I've learned is post-World War II, we were the shit. We were number one. We are gloating ego freaks. Some deserve, some not. I mean, we did get into World War II late, but we did stop it. But also, we didn't lose a bazillion people like the other countries. So, yeah, we technically save the day, but sometimes that kind of makes you just a little too bloated ego-wise. Um, but all these other countries... Now, th- here's the thing. is A lot of people seem to think that Oh, all these jobs are going overseas, and then in a way it was going to happen no matter what. 
It doesn't have to do with the corporations being so greedy. It was inevitable. Post-World War II, all these other countries that were doing manufacturing, they were destroyed. They couldn't make things. So where are they going to go? They're going to go to China or they're going to go to America. And America had tons of open fields to have these factories. Still a somewhat young country. And um, so we were great, you know, financially. Everybody was making a huge amount of money because there's so much work. There's so much money to go around. I think this is before I got to the heads of CEOs that are like, hmm, I'm making great money now, but I could be making even more because I'm a greedy fuck. And everybody underneath me to have with them. To have with them. Um, but by the 70s, all these other countries have gotten up on their feet they're able to do manufacturing again. They're introducing their own lines of stuff that we do in America, sometimes cheaper, sometimes better quality. And, you know, and stuff has started moving over to China. Everybody, you know, don't even get upset about the manufacturing thing. Have you seen the skies in China? It's fucking disgusting. They're polluting their whole world. Um, maybe you should have something fixed instead of just tossing out and getting a replacement. Uh, maybe help the environment a little bit. I don't want to preach too much, but... That's kind of what happened. So by the 70s, America's starting to hurt because everybody else is back on their feet. We had our time, uh, you know, uh, and we have to be ready to pivot with anything in life. Be ready to pivot. Blaming others, even blaming yourself sometimes is pointless. It just makes you frustrated and you dig down and, and you never get out of your rut. You just keep piling dirt onto yourself. You need to just pivot and learn a new way of doing something. A lot of these older people, man, they get real confused and they're really angry that things have changed. Don't embrace the future because it's the only way to survive. Uh, but that's what Cobra Commander did. He used these people who were frustrated and angry that a lot of times they didn't have the education they needed. And he provided that in a way. He provided housing. He provided training. And he provided a job. And sure, it was doing bad stuff, but when you kind of lost a grip on reality, especially when you see that much money coming through, yeah, you're probably going to do it. I wonder how much, how long did it take for him to build this world up before the government noticed and started stepping in? Were they already doing terrorist acts by the time G.I. Joe came around? No, was G.I. Joe made to primarily fight Cobra? I think it's weird that I don't really recall them ever doing anything except fighting Cobra and their affiliates, the Dreadnoughts and Zart, you know, Destro, there's always that trilogy, Cobra Commando, Destro, and uh, Zartan. Cobra Commando was the main, he's like the, you know, on top of the pyramid, but you got the two other steps where Destro was, yeah, sometimes he worked with Cobra Commando, sometimes he wouldn't, but he always had his own kind of thing going on, and Zartan always had his own kind of thing going on, but would work with either one of them. Something they don't really address in the movie. Um, actually, I don't think they really address it in the cartoon either. But in the comic, they really dig into it. But I think it's just funny through all these like illegal scams and and, and selling you know stuff and stealing it as how they became this massive, massive, basically a corporation. Uh, and then they they get this island and they use all these uh, earthquake kind of rupture kind of to bring the ground up and they create their own Cobra Island. They also have Springfield, which becomes part of the story later. And it's basically like this little every town where they have a bunch of. Uh, Normal people who embrace Cobra, but they just, it's like, oh, it's just small town America. Just twist it a little bit. And they got the Freds, the clones, the Freds. Oh, boy, that was that's a weird storyline. Uh, you know, Storm Shadow, you know, has basically redeemed himself, you know. And here we go. They're on uh, the Hydrofoil. They're taking on a bunch of eels, and the eels costume is just cool as hell. Storm Shadow is just beating the shit out of them. Snake Eyes gets knocked loose, 
and ends up in the rocks, whereas Storm Shadow goes into the ocean with a couple of eels. And, you know, they're getting sliced and diced. And the problem is they're out in the ocean, and the sharks know it. They're, they're smelling this blood, and they're going to feast on them. And Snake Eyes is trying to help, but he's too far away. He's not in the big uh, amount of sharks. So he's taking them on. It, 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 seriously, it's a badass picture seeing... Uh, I think it's Ron Wagner that drew this episode, uh, this issue. Um, you know, Snake Eyes bursting out of the water on top of a, a great white, just, you know, shoving his blade into his skull. And seriously, where the fuck is the artist in this? I could have swore it was Ron Wagner. He did a bunch of them. Uh, I remember when Todd McFarlane did a couple of issues, and this is before you know Todd McFarlane was Todd McFarlane. Oh, it's Rod w- Rod Wiggum. Sorry, Rod Wiggum. I don't even know what the hell he did after this. I gotta look that up. He's pretty good. Uh, Todd McFarlane did it. I think one issue, and that's I think around the time Chuckles came, and it was it was a pretty good issue. He didn't really become Todd McFarlane until a couple years later, I think, with Incredible Hulk. Seriously, I think it's funny is that Storm Shadow is getting sliced and diced and eaten up by the sharks. And he's telling the eels to fight harder because when they're done with the sharks, he's still going to slice them up, man. Storm Shadow's a badass. Uh, sorry that I'm kind of raspy and not breathing very well. I uh, turns out I have something called a frozen diaphragm, which the whole muscle just locks up and it gets really tight, so it's hard to breathe. And, and you'll notice that, you know, oh, as a podcaster, how can I get away with that? Well, you know, just keep going until I figure out some sort of relief for this because it's been really bad last month. Stress. Uh, Storm Shadow beats them all. Beats the eels, beats the sharks, walks out of the water. Oddly enough, not really covered in blood. you think he would just be a gross mess. Uh, by the way, I've been watching the Jaws movies. Four sucks. I've never seen it before. Everybody told me to avoid it, so I just avoided it. So I was just curious, and boy, that is one gigantic pile of fuck. Uh, just shit pile. Just non-logical bullshit. Uh, Storm Shadow comes out of the water. You're like, so, like, oh, holy shit, that's awesome. He survived it. And there's Baroness. And she just blows him away, man. What a cold woman. And in the horror in everybody's eyes when they see that, yes, he made it. Oh, no, he didn't. Uh, that sucks. And they didn't even get to recover their friend, you know? They uh, they take Storm Shadow's body and they put him in, like, a vault. You know, this, this water-sealed vault. They're going to use it later to build Serpentor. I don't even think people really remember Serpentor now. Uh, it was such a small thing in the movies. Actually, no. Fuck, I haven't seen the movie in a while. I don't even remember if he's in the movie. Uh, I think it's funny that G.I. Joe movie was supposed to be like this big budget for, you know, animation back then. And in the theaters, but the Transformers movie was a big flop. So they just sent it straight to video and broke it up over five parts on TV. And I'm like, dude, oh, if you'd only known that Transformers would be fully embraced later. I think the G.I. Joe movie is much worse. If I remember correctly, that's the one where they take on the serpent, Burgess Meredith in it or something. It, It seems stupid. I haven't seen it since it came out. Uh, and this is issue 47, nope, 48. Uh, we're taken back to the pit. The Cobra Commander has, uh, taken Storm Shadow and, uh, Zartan is now at the pit. And, you know, Snake Eyes is wearing the mask, which I don't remember seeing before. I'm sure it was in it, but this is wearing, he's wearing the rubber mask of the shades. Or I, how would your face even deal with that? Rubber over... I would think you would sweat to death, and it would just be hell on earth. Uh, I, I No one knows what his face looks like, but it can't be good. It's got to be disgusting. And Zartan is now trying to change identities constantly in order to get out of their base and tell Cobra Commander where they are. And it's kind of funny, like, seeing who is who. Like, what you, is, this, is this guy Zartan? Is it? Oh, I don't know. 
Um, and then, of course, Ripcord is in the hospital dressed as Artan. He's got to hold that uh, that identity or the dreadnoughts are going to just cut him up or do something horrible. Grape soda and what? What the fuck is the other thing? I even looking at it. Grape soda and... Nah, I just see bonbons. I know it's another thing, but grape soda is the big one. Uh, candy, that's right. Candy was Ripcord's girlfriend. If you ever meet anybody named Candy and it's not Candy Clark, you just got to kind of question the logic of their parents naming them that. It's so strange. Oh, but she's so sweet. That's why I named her Candy. All right. I'll let that go. Um, but you guaranteed it's a, it's a strong chance she's going to be a hooker or a, a stripper. Um, no one named, no one should ever name a kid Candy. It's just dumb. Um, it's funny how much louder I am when I'm doing the normal episodes. I, I, I don't have to get so damn loud. Oh, Sergeant Slaughter. Now, this is one of those weird fucking things that G.I. Joe did, the celebrity characters. They only did three, and most people don't even know about the third one. It was uh, Sergeant Slaughter, who was a villain in wrestling, somehow became a hero, and a major part of the DC Universe. I wonder how much money he made off that, because DC Universe? Did not fucking say that? Did it seriously just say DC Universe? Uh, G.I. Joe Universe. What the fuck? Um, so he's in the movie... He's in uh, the 89 series from Deke. I believe he's in both seasons. Well, seriously, a stupid character. Just fucking dumb. Uh, and then they did um, Super Bowl. Oh, she was in the Super Bowl shuffle. The Fridge. The Refrigerator Perry. Who had a football and a chain and uh, weighed 400 pounds. That was a really, really dumb character. And then there was a Rocky Balboa, which is weird. Okay, so. Yes, technically Sergeant Slaughter is a fictional character. But... He wasn't in a movie or a TV series, so Sergeant Slaughter was Sergeant Slaughter to us, and Refrigerator Perry was Refrigerator Perry to us, even though that's a nickname. Sylvester Stallone is Rocky Balboa, but then Rocky Balboa is being used. It's uh, weird because it's not a per- it's not the same rules, but I guess they canceled it. They never did it. There's like one mold out there, and it's worth a bazillion dollars. And I wonder if that was successful. They would have just kept going. You know, would they be uh, a Red Scorpion character? That'd be kind of cool. Honestly, Dolph Lundgren, part of the G.I. Joe universe, I would have taken that. Then you're getting, like, weird. Then you get, like, Patrick Swayze from uh, Roadhouse. You know, Dalton, he does uh, kung fu grip and kicks to the head. Rips your throat out. Uh, What about Stone Cold? Holy shit. Not Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Fuck that guy. Um, I'm talking Stone Cold and Brian Bosworth. And, uh, ooh, yeah, give him a motorcycle. Oh, holy shit. And his villain's Lance Henderson? I think I, I think that we need to go back in time and start a whole new toy line for Stone Cold. How could we not? And just thinking about it, like, oh, well, how about Van Damme from Hard Target, that mullet? And the, uh, oh, my God. And he catches snakes in the midair and, like, slaps them to sleep. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> I think you kind of run out of action heroes. Uh, you know, it'd be kind of cool, though, if Jet Li and Jackie Chan had been added to the G.I. Joe universe. Yeah, Sergeant Slaughter, unlike, you know, what we see in, you know, media, is a good guy here. And that's strange because it's a complete, absolute flip. Uh, we have Barbecue and Blowtorch, both awesome costumes. I would say Blowtorch is the cooler looking one, even though it makes less sense to have something that bright in uh, in battle. And, you know, they're all trying to find Zartan because he's gotten loose. And he takes out Doc and he's, and he's constantly changing. Uh, I had the toy. I love seeing Zartan change in the sun or cold water. I think he also changed in. I had the little skiff, the, the little vehicle that he had. And, you know, I know they did it in the movies. And the way they did it, I guess that makes sense. It's weird when you watch comic book movies or cartoon movies made live action. 
and they have to come up with some sort of plausible reality to the ridiculousness. Uh, Sam Raimi found a way to do it with Doc Ock, where it wasn't stupid. Green Goblin, I didn't really understand the, the armor. Uh, but, you know, in the G.I. Joe movie, they insert all this stuff into his face, you know, injecting all this fluid, and they can change his face. And I just kind of like it in the comic where it's not really that explained, unless I haven't hit it yet. Maybe maybe there was a chunk of the comics, because I haven't read them all. I am right now up to uh, 90. I'm up to issue 90, and then, I, of course, I read like a handful around 108, 115, and then I read the very end, like 150 through 55. Those things are expensive. Damn. I sold those for like 25, 50 bucks a piece, uh, what about 15 years ago? And I know that there is, uh, the classic G.I. Joe volume 15. People are selling this shit on eBay for 150 bucks. I don't think they realize that you can just go bit torrent that shit and just download it. Or, uh, I'm sure somebody has some sort of digital download for it. Why the fuck would you pay $130 for it? These people are greedy and stupid. Uh, so Gung Ho and Zartan go at it, beating the shit out of each other. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think, I think they made a huge mistake when they gave Gung Ho a new costume where he was dressed in like military, um, what do you call it? Ceremonial garb. Uh, I thought that was a dumb uniform to have. I didn't, I had that too. I didn't know why I got that. Um, I always hate it whenever there's a clone kind of thing or they can change identities and they're like, which one's the real one? He is. No, he is. Tell me about that one thing. Oh no. You tell me about that one thing and then we'll know who the real guy is. Fucking hate that cliche. Uh, I guess it's still kind of new when they did this issue, but now if they do it, I just get so pissed off. It's the same thing as when someone always goes, "You and I are not too different," or whatever, some sort of variation. You and uh, we're not too different, you and I. And uh, I was like, "Oh, you lazy asshole! Why you why you write so lame?" Sergeant Slaughter saves the day. I seriously, I did they did he pay them? Because I don't even remember Sergeant Slaughter being that popular. When I was a kid, it was Andre the Giant and King Kong Bundy and uh, Junkyard Dog and Hulk Hogan. Those are like the big popular ones. I, Sergeant Slaughter, I don't even know who the hell he was. I never saw him wrestle when I was a kid. So I almost feel like the WWF paid to have him be a huge part of the comic. And I do not believe Refrigerator Perry ever made it into anything else besides. Because uh, so after the movie bombed, uh, went straight to video. There was a gap. There was like a three-year gap, I think. Two-year gap. When Deke took it over instead of Marvel doing it. And I think in that time they lost doing some really cool characters. My God, that, that Deke series is a mixed bag of terrible and awful. Uh, there's hardly anything good about it at all. Uh, so they're stealing the body for Serpentor. And I thought it was cool. You get to see the little grenades launch on Destro's wrist. I mean, I had seen them there before, but I had not actually viewed him using them. And I thought, yeah, that's badass. So they gather all these bodies. I don't even know how they get all these bodies, but it's, you know, it's a comic book. And it's De- uh, you know, Destro, he has access to everything. You know, Genghis Khan and uh, um, I think Alexander the Great and um, you know some other major villains and war heroes and stuff like that. And they grab Storm Shadow and they're going to use him. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. They're going to keep Storm Shadow alive in some way by using his DNA and making Serpentor. And you know, basically wrapping up the story now because I can't believe I've gone 40 minutes on this, but uh, I segue a lot. Uh, so Ripcord is trying to call G.I. Joe and tell him where he is. And I guess there's a bug since it's in Springfield or near Springfield. And uh, they know that he called G.I. Joe. So Firefly, who we haven't seen in a while. Firefly is a badass. 
uh, he's good in the movie too. Ray Stevenson, I really liked him as it, even though he wasn't dressed anything like him, and he was much much bigger. And uh, it just, I thought he was a badass character. He's one of the very first ones I had too. I remember show and tell, second grade, and people were like, "What'd you get for Christmas?" And I was like, "Well, I got Firefly." And people were like, "You got a bug?" It's like, "No, a Firefly." And I'm not very good at explanations for some reason when I was a kid. And like, yeah, like the bug. Why would you get a bug? Was, was it dead? And they go, no, the toy, Firefly. You got a toy, Firefly? No, from G.I. Damn it, G.I. Joe. You know, and it's, it seems weird that I was, I almost wonder if I had some sort of like neurological disorder that didn't let me act like a normal human being. Now I just can't shut the fuck up. You know, and I just constantly, me, 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 me. That's why I'm doing a podcast. Uh,. Actually, I do the podcast because um, I suffer from massive depression and suicidal thoughts at times, and this keeps me busy, so I don't think about that stuff. Uh, so the the, ran, the end run of this, and this is when it kind of peaks, is they're sick of it. G.I. Joe has been clearanced for taking over Springfield, and they got everybody basically that's still on the team. I know they retired some characters, or at least a, a handful, like Grunt. Uh, you know, the boring characters, hardly any of them are wearing all green. I think all that's left is... Uh, uh, rock and roll. I really don't think that they had anybody else doing uh, just the normal first run, boring ass line of costumes. They gave rock and roll a really good costume. I think two years later, and so GI Joe is going to go on three different fronts, taking out Springfield. And so they have their flight crew in different ships, uh, taking them to different areas of Springfield. I just looking at some of the cool teams. So the strike team, uh, you have. Well, I guess they did still have some of the old guys. Lady J, Barbecue, Heavy Metal, Flint, Deep Six. Deep Six is fucking useless. Isn't he an underwater guy? He's like Scuba Gear. Scuba Steve! Uh, or Scuba Cop. Um, I can't wait for another adventure of Scuba Cop. Uh, Airtight, which, mm, if you know your porn, that is a different meaning. Mm, yeah. Footloose. Uh, I, I didn't realize Kevin Bacon was on the G.I. Joe team. Wow. Uh, Bazooka, he was tired of being those shitty comic strips and uh, moved over to G.I. Joe. I mean, he's already got Joe in the name. Come on, Bazooka Joe. Alpine, uh, Crankcase, uh, clearly out of his mind. Blowtorch and Shipwreck are on the strike team. Pretty solid team. This is when it gets boring. These are all the old shitty... I'm surprised they didn't decide to kill off a bunch of these guys. There's a massive battle we're about to go into in Springfield. Massive. And some of these characters were almost irrelevant. They weren't popular. The toys hadn't been made in years. We're talking like 82 is when that line came out. This is 86 or 87. And so we got Steeler, uh, Grunt, Rock and Roll, Flash, Gung Ho, Tripwire, Short Fuse, Breaker, Mutton, Junkyard, Snowjob... Seriously, snow job. I didn't even that never even dawned on me. Seriously, who is naming these are dirty fucking Alright. Um Zap, Doc, Cover Girl, and Roadblock. Half of them are well known, half of them fuck. Who talks about Zap? Seriously. Zap. Jeez. Zap Bradigan. Uh we have new pilots. We got uh Lift Ticket with a brand new hefty duty ship now. Uh Slipstream is an outer space pilot, which another fucking why. Uh, we only go to space, I think, once. He should not be... I don't... They're just using the toys. That's all they're doing. They're not using a logical team. My favorite is, like, the assault team. These are guys that are, like, the like the guys that are uh, going to go in quiet, take out, like, pivotal things. These are the badasses. Um, we got uh, Snake Eyes, Gorge, Scarlet, Quick Kick, Rakondo, Spirit, Torpedo. Fuck, I don't even remember Torpedo. Huh. Beachhead and Leatherneck. 
No, seriously, who the fuck is Torpedo? I gotta look that up. And, uh, you know, you got the guys that are just gonna be, like, the uh, awesome strike team. Serpentor. I just, funny, so he was such a big thing. I even had that toy for a long time. He had, like, this floating glider thing. And I had that guy forever and ever. I sold all of my G.I. Joes like a dumb shit. And my comics, with the exception of maybe, like, a handful. I held on to the Star Wars toys. But I got rid of the Secret Wars and the G.I. Joe and the Master Universe and whatever else at the time. And then I got rid of all of my comics except for maybe a handful. And those were usually the uh, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. And I only kept a few of those. And I hated myself ever since because I traded them in for... Wait for it! Uh, a glass dildo. No, I, uh, <laughs> um, I traded in for baseball cards. Which, honestly, the glass dildo would have been more useful. Because uh, baseball cards, this is when I got older and I thought maybe I shouldn't have this stuff anymore. Like a uh, insecure, neurotic puss, basically. Um, just seriously. I should have been more confident and just like what I like. Instead of let people push me around. Um, and so I traded them all for baseball cards. Those baseball cards are worthless. Because this is when uh, I think primarily I was collecting the 87 tops. And I had some cards that were worth money until they found like a bazillion of them in a warehouse somewhere. And uh, they were completely worthless. Uh, what a dumb... And then, of course, those comics and toys went... Jeez, I had Daredevil Secret Wars. It was like 55 bucks. Like, then. You know, I had no idea. And this guy, man, he made it like a bandit. He traded them off like a buck a piece. It was like, ah, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, tra- I, seriously, I traded all those comics in for a uh, Jose Consenco 4040 shirt. What the hell's wrong with me? I hate... Mm. All right, Serpentor. Uh, now he has become like this great warrior and Cobra Commander is insecure because you know the one thing Cobra Commander has never been able to do is fight he's never been a good battle guy and Serpentor is like pure adrenaline masculine just like yeah I'm here to kick ass and sleep with all the women you know just, and take control Destro is kind of like that you know uh, but Cobra Commander I always feel like he was just kind of a wimp who was just good at barking orders and coming up with schemes and you know he's taking Serpentor as a serious threat so they're, they're ripping apart Springfield, uh, trying to get to, you know, the main leaders. And uh, it's one hell of a battle. I mean, it's just amazing. Rod Wiggum is just, uh, designs it so well. Some of these guys get really hurt. Ricondo, man, looks like he took a, a bullet to the chest. Holy shit. And I think he was taken out for a while. Um, it's kind of fucked up on, on page 215 of this. There's, uh, Jesus, uh, the Cobra Normies, I wonder if you want to call them that are leaving town and it says they're being taken out by a plane but they can't leave any uh they can't take their pets so this guy is literally taking a revolver and he's gonna shoot his puppy just let the thing live just let it go why would you shoot it that makes no fucking sense i want to ask larry ham about this seriously it's crazy stalker seriously severely underused in anything beside the comic he's a great character i can't believe they haven't added him to the movies why seriously the hell was Marlon Wayans even doing in that movie? He's not a terrible actor, but it just didn't make any sense. Uh, and, of course, Storm Shadow is now revived because of the chemical bath and the, what they've done to get Serpentor going. You know, and it looks like, you know, they're going to get Cobra. They've got them dead to rights. And, uh, oh, nope, somehow they tricked them. They got out. And this is when I start finding a new base. Storm Shadow's alive. And, he, oh, chocolate-covered donuts. It's fucking grape soda and chocolate-covered donuts. I'm so stupid. Uh, introduction of Zorana and uh, Volume Six. I would say uh, of the series so far that I read, four, five, and six are amazing. They're everything that I remember them being, and better. 
Uh, some issues are great, and then some are a little awkward, like the pogo thing and uh, the raptor. I think is the villain with the birds. It, that was, it was silly. So some stuff does work, some stuff doesn't. You know, this is right before Cobra Command and Destro got new costumes, which I thought were great, uh, unique um, compared to. It wasn't just like a revised version like the way it is with Iron Man. You know, where his costume essentially looks like Iron Man. Uh, this is when they kind of overhauled their whole look. And, and the cool part is the G.I. Joe comic and the cartoon and everything, the toys, they all looked alike. Whereas Transformers, it was, ooh, uh, some of those early toys, like Hoist, didn't look anything like the cartoon version. And the comic version was somewhere in the middle. Uh, G.I. Joe, I, I mean, I'd like to do more ish- episodes of this, but uh, I don't know if you guys would tolerate my fucking nonsense. Uh, but after that, it gets kind of touch and go. I don't really care for anything past seven, so five, six, seven are the shit to me. I'm assuming that it'll come back around because I know it gets really good in the 90s, which I'm about to hit. Uh, that's it. Everybody, thank you for sitting through my jibber-jabber. And, um, God, seriously, 50 minutes. I, what I, what the, the episode tonight was supposed to be the, uh, the Armor Wars of Iron Man from, I think, 87, 88. And we have some other stuff lined up. I'm hopefully, I'll, hopefully, I'll be able to get those. We got three or four guests going to be helping program the next year. Um, but that's it. So uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment and um, Back in Tunes. Back in Tunes is the regular podcast we do about animation. So if you like GI Joe, we do episodes about GI Joe, both series. I'm um, having some friends do the movie because I'm a little GI Joe'd out right now. And uh, they, that's where we also post our comics on Infinite Earths. Uh, podcast. So thank you everybody for sitting through this and I'm out. Half the battle. G.I. Joe!